Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon. We have 14 employees, over 650 titles in print with 20 to 40 new books per year, and we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. This week, we have a pair of special guests on the program, Katie Higley, author of Kitchen Witch, Cats I've Known, Slip of the Tongue, White Elephants, etc. Many, 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 many things. And Joe Carlo, uh, owner of This and That Tapes, proprietor of many, many publications as mm. well. Uh, a near infinite battery of creativity mm. publisher of displaced snail right? mm. yes mm-hmm. that's me mm-hmm. yes and so we were going to discuss their paths as well as mm. what you know what it looks like what success looks like i guess in a you know in a creative setting mm. cool well thanks for inviting us yeah super jazzed Thanks for coming on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about what put each of you on this path of pursuing <clears throat> writing as a craft? Sure. And, and, and how far back should I go? As is relevant, you know, like <clears throat> okay. you, you don't need to go back to the prehistoric era, but you know. <laughs> <clears throat> that, pardon me, that is actually how far back my childhood goes. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been writing little stories and stuff all my life, ever since I was really small. And I knew I always wanted to be a writer. And so I started out writing for newspapers. That was my idea. That was what I wanted to, to do for a career. And I did do that for a good few years. Um, but gosh, maybe when I was like 25, I, re- I realized it was like not that satisfying for me creatively. Why not? I, I think I wanted to write about my own life, but I didn't know that yet. Mm. I kept sneaking myself into the things. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet your editors love that. Well, you know, it, it, it kind of flies nowadays when you're doing like creative criticism, which is what I was doing, arts criticism. But um, it, it didn't satisfy me in the way that I wanted to. And actually, I can remember a lot of what I was doing was interviewing other artists about their cool projects and poets doing these interesting tours and stuff. And I loved learning about that. But I realized that I wanted to be the one doing the, the cool thing. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> and so um, I'd been working on these poems, just for fun, I guess, found poetry, I got really into found poetry. And I did not know how to share that. I wanted to publish them somehow, but I didn't. I didn't know how to do that, and I didn't. I didn't know if I could do it because it was like using found material, like previously published material. And, mm-hmm. But I knew what zines were, and I knew there was a zine fest because there'd been a zine fest in Philly one year earlier, and I'd missed it. So I was like, I'm going to go this next year, and I'm going to bring my poems. So I figured out how to make a zine. I like had some zines, and I took. I took one of them apart. I pulled the staples out of it and took it apart and figured out what the person had done to lay it out. And um, and I made this 
po little poetry book. I was very nervous and showed up in my zine there. And I remember I wrote to this woman whose art I really admired and she, um, and I asked her to do a cover for me. She did it for free. Oh. As, long as, as long as she could put an ad in the back. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it, it, yeah, I still have copies of that around. I call it word math. What year was that? That would have been 2000, shocks, let's think, four? Is that sound right? I think that's right. Yeah, it was, it was a while ago now. <laughs> right? Maybe it was 2003. Anyway, yeah, a long time ago. Longer. Yeah, it might, it might have been like 2002. Um, but yeah, that was the beginning of it. And I went to the zine fest. I was very nervous and worried that like, are people going to be interested in what I'm doing? And like, I don't know. But I had this really beautiful experience that day meeting everybody who came around because I didn't know about zines as a culture yet. I just knew that you could publish your work that way. But when I was at this event, I learned that it had a whole culture around it and that the creators of zines were like, the people reading them were, were very likely to also be people who made them themselves or were doing mm. or artists in some other way. So all day long, I, you know, I was telling people about my work, but they were telling me about theirs. Oh. And I made friends that day and found people to, to like distribute my zine. And you know, that was just the beginning of it. It was like, like set me on a different path entirely as a writer. And, um, so, I, you know, I've been doing that for all these years. And that's how I met Jay. <laughs> mm -hmm. as like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh. Here, I'll tell mine because that leads up to us. Yes. Little yin-yang. Yes. Um, so I used to frequent this Tweepop forum called Indie Pages, mm -hmm. which was really neat. Um, and a bunch of friends of mine were giving me all these mixed CDs. So I had the idea to make a CD booklet that I could give all of them that contained the track lists. And I found... Missy Kulik, who goes by Sugar Cookie when she's making zines, had posted to the indie forums uh, how to make an eight-page zine. And so I made these CD booklets, and this was 2007, and I gave them out to all of my friends. And I didn't know it, but I just made my first zine. <laughs> and then I continued the series. I called it Today Terrific. So I made, like... I think 11 more issues and I would do like music reviews and interview friends of mine and get art from friends. And then in 2009, uh, my friend, Mike Jasorka, who's a comics artist in LA now, um, invited me to a zine fest. And so I made a bunch of my zines and I went to it and I had made these popsicle stick boxes with hinges that opened and they held the first five issues of my zine. Yeah, it was with the box set. And I, you know, I got pipe cleaners and put TT on the front for today. Terrific. And then I met Katie there and we traded a box set for a book of her poetry. And that's how we got together. Oh. And this is my 15 years anniversary. Oh, I'm really excited. Happy anniversary. Thank you. <laughs> so what happened after that? What happened with like, writing? As a, and, yeah, as a creative pursuit. Well, I, I kept on writing for newspapers because like, I still did that for my work, um, mostly reviewing books. And I just put out a ton of zines and went to a ton of zine fest and kept doing that. And then I met you all, I guess, right? I, like, um, I did a zine under a pen name that I still haven't revealed it. That that was me, so I'm not going to say what the name was. Oh, but ooh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Mm, but I did okay. this this zine that um, I was proud of, and I I sent I sent a copy of it to Microcosm 
to see if you would be interested in carrying it and you did and that was like that was like the big time i was really proud and excited about that i sold a lot more of those things through you than i had on oh, my own interesting. <laughs> mm -hmm. and um yeah gosh my my memory of dates is poor but um like i knew you for a good few years before um before i did my first book for you which was white elephants which also that started out as a zine series yeah. and that was a zine that i did um every summer for a few years in a row i was living around the corner from my mom and we would go to yard sales every summer and i would come home from each outing um and chronicle the things i found and the things and the people we met and just the little experiences that we had um and so I, then i turned that into a book by just sort of this is hard to do actually <laughs> i think I think making a book is probably always hard, but the challenge of this one was to like stitch those things together that I'd written at different times without the goal of combining them and then making it into like one narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that was my first book. And then, and then I, I guess like writing those books became my focus. That's been like the most important part of my writing life in the last it's been 10 years. That was 10 years wow. ago. I had to look wow, inside the yeah. book to remind myself yesterday at AWP, I was speaking to somebody. <laughs> this is my first book. It came out like seven or eight years ago. I don't, I don't remember. And I, let's see. And then 2012. Okay. Oh, Where's yeah. the time go? Yeah. So yeah, that's been like, that's been the most important thing to me in these years is like writing these longer mm -hmm. pieces, you know, like book length writing. Um, now that I, once I, showed myself I could do it. I wanted to keep doing it. Why is that important? <laughs> oh, it's, I'm so proud of, of being able to do that. I'm so proud to have those books. And um, I think I can see myself doing different kinds of projects in the future, but I think I've hit on something that really suits me, which is writing in a vignette kind of style, but at a book length mm. project. Um, and I just really enjoy doing that. Like that's how cats I've known is set up with you know short vignettes about different cats oh, yeah. and longer mm -hmm. than just a few paragraphs. Yes. You just couldn't. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Even more than thinking in terms of chapters, I think in terms of like small stories and moments and then like piecing it together. And anyway, like the, all of those projects have been really gratifying for me to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about you? How did it progress from there? Um. Well. I got a job at an SAT prep company um, and I was teaching at first. Um, and then they wanted to start a publishing division and they knew that I was already making my own books. Um, they had a vending machine in the school with all my zines in it. Oh, yeah. So the kids would come in and be like, I just read your poetry. <laughs> <laughs> um, not awkward. No, not at all. <laughs> but so they, um, they hired a design student to come teach me to use InDesign and Illustrator and Photoshop and stuff like that. Wow. Um, and so, you know, I worked with them for a few years and got better at doing that. And then I started doing freelance work. Um, I picked up clients, I did some book covers and I would do sort of like on-demand zine making. And so I, I, I did maybe 60 of those jobs um, for poets. You know, I worked with Random House. I worked with Portland State University. Joyful Noise Recordings, a bunch of record labels. I got to work with Deerhoof, which was really cool and like super dreamy for me. <laughs> um, and then really it was only just maybe two years ago that I sort of stopped doing all of that and just got back to my own work. And so I'm not doing any more freelance. Um, and I'm focusing entirely on, well, 
I listen to your podcast. I've been <laughs> building my own distribution network. So I have about 20 stores that I stock. Mm. Um, I've been doing my personal bookkeeping and my current tally is a, a little over 21,000 copies of about 200 magazines. Wow. So I'm doing a lot of printing. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, and you do your printing in your office in this house, yes. right? Yeah, we have um, an old publisher was giving away a bunch of old equipment. So I got a folding machine that I use for most of my zines now. So we have, you know, a 500 sheet paper cutter when we're making books. <laughs> um, I just celebrated the one year anniversary with my new printer, an Epson 1660. Mm -hmm. um, and I've already done 33,000 prints on it. Because of the new printer ring. Yes, there's been a lot going on. Um, but you know, it's something we do together too, because Katie's in my office a lot doing the printing and we, we design zines together. Um, so paper the one year anniversary too. Oh, you're so right. Aw. I'll have to tell my printer. Yeah. It probably <laughs> does. Give, give it some paper. <laughs> if anyone knows it, knows. <laughs> so it's good for you to affirm that you know too. Yes, yeah. right. You're so right. I, I'm the lackluster one with the relationship. Oh, <laughs> and we acquired a photocopier too. A friend of ours had gotten one, like a small one from a thrift store that had been someone's like small business or something, I think she right. said. And we've made a bunch of zines on that too. Right. And we house it in. So Katie and I together run the East Fall Zine Reading Room. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot about this credential. Which is our, our zine library and show space. Um, we do a show about once a month when it's non pandemic times. Um, and we have a library of about 1,600 zines. Almost all of them are cataloged. We're working on it. Yeah. You We're can find the catalog on, on our website it's too. It's painstaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you two, between you two, have like a ton of different aspects of publishing experience, from like self-publishing your own zines to like publishing other people's work to being published traditionally. Like, what I guess, what's your favorite? What what lessons would you share with our audience of publishers? Oh, I mean, I think try it all out and see what works for you. I mean, I did a zine with you guys, the blue suitcase, yeah, um, which I meant to be. A serial zine have a lot of issues, but the content in it was very upsetting, and I decided not to work on it anymore. But I really loved having you guys publish one of my zines. But I have a hard time relinquishing a lot of control over a project, mm -hmm. and so when it comes down to it, I've been a lot happier doing all of my own design, all of my own printing, you know, establishing my own stores that I sell to. That stuff gives me a lot of pride. Um, but Maybe a return to traditional publishing one day in the future. Random house. Exactly. <laughs> Tomorrow the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'll probably always make zines because uh, just for the sheer, like, playfulness and openness that you can have when you do it yeah. that way. It can be um, as modest or as big a deal as you want it to be. And, and that's important to me. And I just enjoy it so much. But... Um, Working with you all on making books uh, gave me gave me a lot, a, a whole lot. And I, I think the most important thing, at least at first, was understanding that it's a collaboration when you work with people like that mm -hmm. in that way. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I was afraid of giving up any control over my work. You know, mm -hmm. you know <laughs> right, right, right. But then I, but then I saw what it means to make a book and it's not, it isn't just writing. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. And that it, like, it wouldn't have come to be at all or in the way that it was if the people who worked on it together didn't 
do that mm. <laughs> you know mm. um yeah packaging is much more plays a bigger role yeah yeah well right you understand like how it should look and the size it should be and what it should look like on the page and but also like helped me to edit it too edit the writing right. and all right. of that made it stronger um and like with kitchen witch you know i had the experience of working with a different editor right. and with lydia and they gave me like really really that was a different sort of book for me because it was purely nonfiction, more or less um and yeah like i really benefited from getting that kind of feedback from somebody um telling me ah, this should be reorganized things mm -hmm. like that yeah. like what makes this read better mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's sort of like there's the raw materials and then there's the um organization and right and then you're who's your editor on slip of the tongue did I do it? It was you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It was right. you, I think. And then, yeah. and then on Cats I've known, it was probably Ellie. Yeah, yeah. Ellie. yeah, yeah. We okay. got to work so you've had the gamut. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and I have really benefited. All those books are like, all of that writing is better than it would have been, you know, if it was just, just me. Working bang, with bang away. is such a luxury. Oh, I'm very lucky because Katie is a fantastic editor. Well, I know you can't edit your own work. I'm okay. I'm crazy proofreader. I don't know. No, no, you're a great editor of my work too. So all my zines have been way better this past year since I've had you read them all first. Well, Give me lots of notes. I'm glad. <laughs> I like doing that. Yeah. Well, that's a, yeah, it's an undercredited, you know. Mm. It's like design where like nobody would ever be like, oh, my, well, very few people would say like, my editor really made this the better thing. Like people really frame it. Well, it's like, like they only notice if there's a mistake. Otherwise, it's like invisible. And when editing and design are done well, they're, you don't notice them at all. Mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, like right. You want it to be a seamless thing. Right. Right. Totally. No, I've rewritten entire essays because of Katie's notes, and then mm -hmm. they get so much stronger. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just a second. Another pair of eyes is worth so much. Mm -hmm. A good reader that you trust, and he can be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, Bad editing. You can feel the war between the author and the editor <laughs> oh. in the text when oh, you read it. I bet. I haven't really experienced that. No? Okay. Once you start reading books with that in mind, you can't not see it. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So, like, in what? how so? Oh, like, sometimes you can see, like, exactly what happened. Like, you can be like, oh, this author turned their draft in too late and didn't get, like, the oh. first round of edits it needed. Or the second, probably the second or third round of edits it needed. Or... Mm -hmm. And you can even tell down to that level. Mm -hmm. Like, that's so interesting. That's interesting. Or you can just see, like, where the editor is leaning in harder and where the author is leaning oh. in harder mm. a lot of the time. Huh. And you can, see, like, you can really distinguish because it's, like, almost like two voices. Two different voices. Oh, right. <laughs> that, comes yeah. up with, that can come up with magazine or newspaper writing. Especially with magazines, because those tend to have they they need the bigger the magazine, they need to have like a unified voice. Yeah. yeah. So mm. if you don't figure out what that voice is and write in that style, they'll just change it. Yeah. Which is why right. I don't like doing that. Right. Right. <laughs> That's true. It's also a collaboration where they're like. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. It works better for me when there's like when the writer has more more say, not total say, but you know it needs to be collaborative for me to want to. Mm -hmm. do it yeah right mm -hmm. so when i think when most people think about self-publishing nowadays they think about like kind of the solo work of like creating a book and then like maybe creating this book-shaped object out of it and putting it on amazon and hoping people will mm -hmm. find it mm -hmm. and i feel like what 
like listening to you two talk about sort of your own publishing work that is outside the mainstream, but also like not that. It, um, I guess the question in this is like, what makes the way that you publish special and cool? Like what are the coolest things about the independent publishing scene, like from your view that people can tap into? There's so many cool things. Well, <laughs> one, thing, one thing that came, came to mind right away is, um, because you use the word solo, I think, is that it's so it can be so collaborative, mm -hmm. right? Like Joe and I work on things together, but we also both have lots of friends and just like friendly collaborator people we've met at events, we've met as pen pals or online, and um, that's so much fun. You know, it's a great example of that is we worked on this project called Out and About, Joe and Katie walk around Philly. Yes. Um, and it was 2020, you know, quarantine was in full swing and we were just walking everywhere all the time. And we were gonna make a zine of it and release it at our friend's store. Um, but we decided, we did a Kickstarter for it and raised a lot more money than we expected. And we decided to make a book out of it. And I had just reconnected with my friend, Ali Shred, who's a comics artist. Um, and she was gonna do the cover. And she was a high school friend. Right, right she's an old high school friend, mm -hmm. but we met each other at SPX again and started yeah. talking. Um, but so we had, I had just taken screenshots of the maps that we'd walked and like drawn a little walkway. Um, and we, you know, we told her what we wanted for the cover and she goes, let me draw the maps too. And we were like, oh, okay, that'd be great. And then she goes, I'm also just gonna draw things like shoes and gates and lamps. And, and design each page. Right, and then oh. she goes, would you want like a border for each page? And it was like, you know, these are things that we weren't thinking of because in our minds, this was gonna be, you know, a little zine. 20 page zine that we were gonna sell, you know, but Allie has made a lot of books and she runs Little Red Bird Press. Um, and so, you know, she in her mind, she had what a book should look like. Mm -hmm. And it just, all of those things really elevated what Out and About could be. And it's such a cool book. Like you open it up and it doesn't look like a guidebook. It looks like a right. zine. Oh, I love that about it. Yeah. And well, it's like, as a cartoonist, she would have a different aesthetic. So like yeah, right. you're collaborating on that. Yes, totally. Right. She, yes. And as a publisher, she feels an aesthetic. Yeah, right. Totally. And her, her style is so charming and lovely. And like, I yeah. know that people are drawn to the book in large part because of how attractive it is. Right. Yeah. People love attractive books. Yeah, really and that cool. one we outsourced. We used fireball printing here in Philly because um, sometimes when designing something, I like to have constraints. And the biggest book they can print is 100 pages. Oh, no. <laughs> so we were like, all right, how can we make this book exactly fit into 100, 100 pages? pages? And sure enough, it was 100 pages to the page. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how and so like how has experiences like this informed what you want to do next? Oh gosh, that's a good question. Well, uh, one thing that comes to mind is um, we when we did that book, like Joe was saying, we used Kickstarter, and that was my first experience with Kickstarter, and it was I really got a lot out of it. I was so pleased with how that went that I did my own Kickstarter last year because I had the idea to do like a zine subscription because mm -hmm. I wanted to write a zine and send it out each week. And so I did that. So I like made my own campaign and well, Joe helped me. We made video. <laughs> we made a video and stuff. Uh, trying to make it look snazzy. But we got I got some some subscribers to this thing and got so much out of doing that project. I did it for six months every week. I'm taking wow. a small break from it because I had to dig pretty deep but that was like 
it was a lot of writing, but um, I plan to do it again. So I'll do the same mm. thing again soon, I think, um, and use Kickstarter again. Mm. What, do you, what do you think your next book will be? Oh. I'm putting you on the spot here. Well, it's it would be on the spot if I had an answer, but I I don't know. Okay. I actually don't know. I I'm just sort of like I don't tend to plan like that that much. I just like keep on writing and then see what direction I go in with it. I've really uh, doing that subscription was like I wrote some essays for that that I'm proud of, and maybe I would do something with mm-hmm. with those sometime. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I don't have a plan for a book. Give it time. <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll come. It'll happen. Just not yet. I have um, I have finally learned to collaborate and give up a little control. Ooh. So you know, these, these past this past year has been marked by collaboration. So um, my friend Gina Brandolino and I started writing a zine called Gina and Joe Talk About. Um, we talk about horror movies. We did queer horror, Halloween horror, and winter horrors. Um, I have a project coming up with uh, Luce Tomlin Brenner, who does the It's Always Halloween podcast. We're going to do a bunch of Halloween themed zines together. Nice. Um, and, you know, these are all people who have strong aesthetics too, and, you know, want to mm. talk about what the zine yeah. looks like, want to talk about who should do the cover, if not me, and things like that. And I'm. I'm getting better at learning to seed some control and say like, you know, that's a really good idea. I didn't think of it, but it's a really good idea. <laughs> I, I can admit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's kind of, I mean, that's like our job too, is you know, you come in and you're like, oh, is the author and illustrator is the, like, what is, right. you know, because it's like, it starts out as like, what are the other books on the shelf look like? Then right. it comes back to like, what is the organic expression of this book? Interesting. Right. You know, because yeah, it's interesting. You don't want it to be a force. You don't want it. To, yeah, you don't like want it to. Have, if it has too much personality, then people are going to be like, "What the hell is this?" Uh-huh. And if it has too little personality, then it feels homogenized and soulless. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Interesting. And so you want like you're like amalgamating those two elements. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, right. Like, let it happen naturally, but sort of steer it, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you research, and then you ask some questions, and, which <laughs> I guess is research as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, of mm-hmm. course. Do, do you worry that you're, are you feeling a little boxed in by being uh, typecast as a horror writer? No, not at all. It's, um, there are a few things that I, like, truly unequivocally love. I love horror movies. I love a whole bunch of video games. I love my zines. And I, I don't want to, I don't feel the need to like stop myself from loving those things. So there have been times <laughs> when I've said like, you know, this is who I am now. Like, you know, I run this tape label, this and that tapes. Um, and for a few years, I got really lost in it. And I stopped making zines and I was just doing the tapes. And I was like, this is who I am now. I'm the record label executive. Um, but you know, then I sort of woke up one moment and I was like, what is my life anymore? This isn't sort of what I do. Um, so I'm still enjoying writing it, but the horror movies, I love them. So I'm happy to just keep writing about them. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a common problem where you are like, does the thing, the project work for me? Do I work for the project? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can, yeah. Can we talk about business and money for a minute? Because sure. when we first showed up, you told us you've been taking business classes and applying that to the zine. And I feel like, um, 
one of the common misconceptions in publishing is that like in order to be good at business, you kind of have to be soulless mm. and that like, which is true. <laughs> yeah. And, and also I feel like there is this element, like, you know, when I first got involved in zine culture, I, everyone I met, it was incredibly collaborative. And then as I sort of started to like expand beyond zine culture, people started to be a little bit like, what are you going to pay me? Um, which, you know, I feel like is valid. Everyone should yeah. get paid for their work. If that's, if that if what they're doing is work rather than a hobby yeah. or if somebody's getting paid everybody should you know yeah right. but like i guess yeah how do you navigate that how do you like put your like business mindset into this work without losing the soul of it oh that's interesting um i just some hard balls uh, the the, <laughs> the biggest thing that i learned from it i think was the fact that there, there are people who want to support you mm -hmm. and you shouldn't make it hard for them to do that. Oh, and so nice. that was something I was doing. You know, I was trying to sell my zines for a dollar or two, mm -hmm. whereas at the end of the day, I wasn't making any money. And I was believing that no one would want my work if I sold it for more than that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now my zines are usually between three and eight dollars, depending on how big they are. And, you know, if anything, more people are buying them. Oh, interesting. But it's, uh, you know, it's a thing where you know, we're getting the good reviews and people are saying like, you know, I love this press. I want to buy their scenes. I want and so yeah. you shouldn't stop people from doing that. Um, you know, the same thing with the mailing list. I had this idea that having a mailing list was in some way like a corny thing to do or like, you know, oh, that's like some business. I'm not like Urban Outfitters, <laughs> but you know, no how else are people going to hear from me? Right. <laughs> and so, you know, I have a mailing list now and, you know, a few hundred people signed up to it because they follow my work. And it, you know, again, I was making it harder for people to find my work because of some idea that I had that was poorly formed in the first place. Mm. Huh. Yeah. What about you? Mm. <laughs> not to say that you're also going to business school, but uh, I am not doing that. And I don't have a real head for business. But to say, like, how do you balance those two seeming, or you know, supposedly adversarial ideas? I, I think, I think for me, um, it's only, mm, it's only been adversarial in the sense that, like, psychologically, um, early on, it was very hard for me to. It was, I guess, it's some something similar to what Joe was saying. Um, very hard for me to promote myself and feel comfortable doing that, mm. just to like talk about. Mm -hmm. I have this book or I'm so proud of those things, but I kind of hoped people would just sort of happen upon them. And, and they, and they do sometimes, <laughs> but, right. uh, you know, I mean, your first book was sold in Barnes and Noble, I know. you know, your very first book. And I, and I, I don't think that I didn't like tell, you know, all my family about that and, and feel very proud of it, but it was sort of like, I think, I think I've tended in the past to like, be delighted if something like that happened for me, but not know um, that it was okay to want it or to, or even just to be proud to tell people like, I have a thing, if you're interested in it, here's how you can get it. Please consider supporting me and my work. Mm -hmm. And like, just like Joe was saying, people do. Like yesterday when I was at the, at the booth at AWP, like, I was proud to stand there with my books and I had, a, I met a whole lot of people who were interested in them and, and interested in what microcosm was doing. And, and, you know, and those, that's where I had these real connections with people. And mm -hmm. I think that's part of the, part of it too. Um, 
I don't feel like I need to think of it as marketing. Like if I don't understand what that is or I don't like it, then I, that's fine. But what I do know how to do is have conversations with people. So that's what I did. Because uh -huh. when you know, I'm sitting there with my books that tend to be like pretty personal and tender. Yeah. So when I tell people what they are, then those people kind of immediately get real and talk to me about their lives. And then we're, you know, you're there. Yeah. We just right. were having like a real human exchange. And um, that's the point of writing the thing in the first place. That's why I, why I write it. It's certainly why I publish it because I'm trying to make that connection. So like talking about what I've done to somebody who might be interested in it, it's just an extension of that. And it isn't, it isn't sleazy. Right. So, and, and I see, I understand that now. And so I'm like happy to do it. There's also sort of um, a head trip for me of like, when is something no longer a hobby? And when is it something mm. I'm trying to do? Because, you know, one thing I took from the business classes too is about building a budget and sticking to the budget and, and keeping actual track of cash flow in and out. Mm. And so it's like, you know, we did two full print runs of out and about 250 books each. We sold all 500, but, you know, we probably only made a few hundred dollars mm. and for 500 books, you know, and for almost a, a year and a half of selling them, you know, so the third print run, we increased the price by a little bit and we decreased the page numbers by a little bit by tightening up the design. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so now we have the opportunity to make more than we made with the first two runs mm -hmm. in this one single 250 run. And it's not it's not because all I want is money, but it's, it's because, you know, for a project that we're doing for years, it would be really nice if it gave us some money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. mm -hmm. yeah. And then it mm -hmm. becomes like self-sustaining. Right. But when you're thinking of it more as a hobby, it's easy to say, well, this is just for fun. Mm. And to not think about the fact that I'm spending, you know, five, 10, 20 hours a week working on this mm -hmm. and making no money from it. But this is like where almost all of my time is going. Right. What if I want to build my life around this? Yeah. And that idea of a hobby can be a crutch too, and just a way of like um, not giving yourself the respect due. I, I'm not yeah. the biggest fan even of that concept. Like work is work. Yeah. You know, it's something that you That's care fair. about. It's something that you care about. Mm -hmm. Whether right. you get paid anything or a lot, or you know, so if you care about it and you worked on it, then it's okay to stand by that. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's an awesome note to end on. Well, join us next week where we talk about something else. <laughs> Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm on Facebook at Microcosm Publishing. On Instagram at Microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>